Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Shane Ross, thank you for coming in to uh, speak to us today. I want to start with the election, of course. Mm. Eight months now since you lost your seat, sitting minister, not re-elected, and a real collapse, wasn't it, of the first preference votes that you had achieved in the past. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I wasn't as surprised as some other people. I suppose it, it was disappointing. Of course it was, and uh, we expected it to squeeze in. The vote went from about 10,000 down to about three and a half. Uh, and I suppose I felt that having been in government and having been in opposition is a completely different uh, matter. And it was much harder to defend the seat, having been in government during that period of time. Uh, so I felt, I felt disappointed and I wanted, to, I, I wanted to continue. I felt there was a lot of energy left. But, you know, there's, there's a lot more to life than just being elected. There's an awful lot of other things to do as well. So it didn't last. It didn't take very long to recover from the somewhat, somewhat surprise of what happened. Yeah. But you'd been in politics for decades yeah. at that stage. You'd been That's in the right. Shannons. You'd been in opposition. This yeah. was the first time to be in government, to yeah. be a minister, mm -hmm. one term, and you're out. So did you feel a sense of failure? Not really a sense of failure. I was disappointed. There were lots and lots of different reasons for it. Um, and of course, for myself, it's, it's uh, you look back and say, what did I, where did I go wrong? Yeah, and of course, as a minister, I made absolutely endless number of mistakes, as they always do. But it, it was a kind of bad day for independence as well as everything else. So yeah, you just brush yourself down, get on and decide, what am I going to do next? Yeah. And I know you say it was tough for ministers, but there was another minister, Minister Josepha Madigan, yeah. was in your constituency, yeah. and she was returned. Yeah. So they didn't just punish ministers in your constituency. They, they have punished a you. They've certainly punished me. They have a history in my particular constituency, which I was always aware of, of people with high profiles who came in of actually not, not lasting there very long. You have uh, people like, you know, Eamon Ryan, Alan Shatter, Alex White before me, uh, and um, Anne Colley. And a lot of people like that, Roger Garland, the Green as well, was there. But they were only there one term as minister. And it's a very volatile constituency indeed. So in that sense, it wasn't a disappointment. It was a disappointment in the way that I'd like to do a few things which I, I never completed. Uh, and that was sad, certainly. But, but, uh, but for me, no, it's, it's, you know, that's democracy. On we go. So what went wrong then, Shane? I suppose that, first of all, I think, I think people... There was a certain anti-government feeling. There was a feeling that I hadn't delivered, I suspect, by some people were disappointed because in opposition I'd been very, very vocal. And I think they felt that I hadn't delivered as much as I promised uh, or they, they'd hoped I would do so. There was also the extraordinary situation on the day where independence vote went down. You know, there isn't a single independent TD in Dublin now. Uh, and that, I think, is a, there was a big swing against people who were independent. So I think that, that was true as well. And there were some things which I, 
hoped to do didn't complete, and I suspect that that was disappointing to the electorate as well. But one of the things, I suppose, one of the things you were really criticised yeah. for yeah. when you were minister was the fact that you seemed to still play the parish politics games and that you had always looked to put your constituency above everybody else. You promised them steps outside Garda Station, you got it, for example. Yeah. And people accused you of parish politics for doing that. Yeah. And yet the electorate still didn't vote you back in. The, the Stepside Guard Station thing was, was part of a, a national campaign where we where they came in, they closed 139 Garda stations when I was in opposition. I said, look, we've got to, we've got to reopen these stations. And specifically, Stepside was one of the worst cases. And what happened there was there was a recommendation made uh, by, by the Guardi that Stepside should be the first to be reopened. Uh, and I was very delighted that they did find that. There were huge burglaries there in that situation. And, uh, and it was done. Now, it would have been, I suppose, very wrong of me to, have, having been elected, saying, I am going to get this reopened if I can, to say, oh, no, I'm elected, I'm not going to do it anymore, I'm not going to pursue it. So I did pursue it, and it was opened, and I'm very pleased that it was. I think if you take even a kind of cursory look at some yeah. of what was written about you and some of the yeah. editorials and opinion pieces right throughout your time as minister, yeah. they weren't complimentary to say the least. Yeah. Uh, good TD, abysmal minister, do nothing minister. Eamon Ryan said, worst transport minister ever, and that's saying something. Yeah. He said you would no decision making, no leadership, no mm. initiative, no interest. I mean, it goes on and on and on, gentle, untended, bumbling and laughable. Yeah. Well, you know, Eamon Ryan was in opposition at the time. He, uh, he, he's been looking for my advice since. Um, and he's he's been extremely uh, friendly and and, and looked for look, look look for help on various issues, and I'm very happy to to do that if he wants to if he wants to do that. I I take those things in the spirit in which they're meant. They're opposition politicians. They have to say things like that all the time. And but the and other commentary, it. the do nothing minister, which well, apparently was your nickname. Well, there was I'd never heard that before, but. That, that just wasn't true. I mean, I was doing a 24-7 job and I was doing it all the time. I take that, that's fine, you know, it's, it's the rough and tumble of politics. It's, a, it's probably the sort of thing I'd have said about a minister when I was in opposition as well. Um, but certainly do nothing would, would be very, very unfair. I was absolutely flat out every single day. So that, that wouldn't be true, but that's what you expect. But looking, I suppose, at your time at Cabinet, when you sort mm. of walked into Cabinet, yeah. you refer to the fact that you know, it felt like you were being targeted all of the time. Did you feel under pressure? Did you feel hostility towards you? The, the Cabinet experience initially was, was extremely interesting and probably very unusual. And it was probably as a result of some very, very difficult negotiations to get into, to get into uh, bed with the blue shirts. Uh, and we were negotiating, I think, from the wrong basis from the start, and I suspect they were as well, in that we were negotiating not as people who were going to pull together, but as people who were, who were enemies, who were opponents. And we never made the shift in the initial stages towards being, um, really to being, to being partners in government, but we were still, and, and Fine Gael were as well, kind of looking upon the us in cabinet as kind of fifth columnists. In other words, we weren't there pulling in the same direction. And that took a very, very long time. So you describe uh, it as a weekly ambush. The cabinet yeah, there was meetings. A, Why? The cabinet works in a in a strange way. Um, and before the cabinet meeting at ten o'clock every Tuesday, there was a meeting of the Fine Gael uh, cabinet ministers, and Finney McGrath and I, and and Dennis Nocton and uh, Catherine Zappone, 
and the Attorney General and, and, and one or two others who attend Cabinet always turned up at 10 o'clock. In the initial period of Andy Kenny's government, they turned up at 11, 11.15, times, times like that, and just left us waiting. Now, that's, that doesn't make for good relationships, but they always came in ready, really, for what I think they felt was going to be an ambush. And we, were, we prepared at the time for what looked to us to be something might be sprung on us. And so there was a terrible atmosphere in the initial month or two, maybe six months, first six months, when we waited there before every cabinet saying, what are they, what are they, what are they up to? You know, they, they have a meeting which starts at nine for a 10 o'clock meet, cabinet meeting, and they don't turn up till 11. And, and so relationships were extremely frosty when we approached it in that, in that atmosphere. And it took a long time for that to actually break down. And that's why, and we did, we had some very, very stormy cabinet meetings beforehand, because what was really happening, I suppose, is that we weren't talking in advance and saying, settling, settling our differences and trying to resolve things, but we're going to the cabinet and having a collision there and then. And it took a while to get over that. As part of the reason you were having those collisions yeah. is because when you, in the very, very initial stages of negotiating with Enda Kenny, yeah. who was then Taoiseach, yeah. you literally met him on a Friday, started the negotiations to try and do a deal with the Independent Alliance. Yeah. Then on Sunday, in a newspaper column, you referred to him as a political corpse. Yeah, that's... You walked into the office on Monday and things are toxic. What did yeah. you expect? Well, I think, I, I think in, in retrospect, uh, I'm sorry I called him political corpse. Not because it wasn't a, an accurate political charge or a fair political charge, but he, he personally found it offensive. Uh, and I didn't mean it to be that at all. Uh, and what did It was hardly a compliment, Shane. No, it wasn't a compliment, but, but politicians don't speak particularly kindly of each, each other when they're in a political uh, atmosphere. And I've been called things I think probably much worse than that in the past, and, and I, I didn't notice at all. And Enda I'd known for a very long time. And we've been, been across the table for five years, across the door for five years, exchanging uh, quite robust things being said about each other and doing things, saying things. And so I, th I suppose what I did was then, and he was on his uppers, it wasn't, a very, it wasn't a very brave thing of me to do, because what you don't do in politics, and we should learn, I think, probably, is that you don't consider people's personal feelings enough. And Ender was personally offended by it. And in fact, what, what happened was, and you're right what you say, the, the atmosphere on the Friday was good. I went off, I wrote a piece and said, look, I said, we, we don't know really whether, whether, whether he's actually going to be around for much longer. And I, I phrased him that way, which he found offensive. And, uh, and I think he's right. I think it was personally offensive. He took it that way. And I withdrew it then I, afterwards. I said, look, I'm sorry if I find it offensive. And, but that rankled, and you're quite right, it created a very difficult and very toxic, what you say is a toxic atmosphere, and that was my fault. It would lead me to think that your judgment at times can be poor. Okay, it absolutely can. I mean, it, it, and it was initially. I mean, at that time, remember, we'd never been in government. Any of us had never been in government. But you've uh, been in politics for decades. Oh, yeah. You weren't I, new to the game. Oh, yeah, of course. But it was a bit of a surprise to me, even having been in politics for, for 29 years at the time. No, no, 35 years at the time, I think it was. It surprised me that anybody should take offence at a political charge, uh, and which he did. And it was quite apparent from the from the atmosphere straight afterwards that that he had taken offence at the political charge. So I'd probably gone too I'd gone too far, and I admit that. And I said afterwards, yeah, that wasn't meant to be the case. In the end, of course, End and I got on very well. Uh, I, you know, that was that that fence was mended, but it took about six or eight months. But you do say, Fine Gael eat their young. Yeah. Is that what happened to the Independent Alliance? Did you get eaten? 
Well, it's, it's like sitting in a cabinet with them, and I try and get this firmly into the book. It's like sitting down with a tribe. And personally, they're very, very, uh, when, when you meet any of them, and, and as I hope we were as well as the independent lads, um, they're very affable, very easy to get on, etc. But when they're all together, they fight. They fight like hell, and there is absolutely no quarter given whatsoever. And you, that's what you you have to understand that that's how politics work. You say you'll die a painful death if you go into government with them. Oh, absolutely. You'll be oblivion you'll, beckons is the words. That's you, what you've learned. That's well. That's what's happened to everybody so far, including including us. That what happens is you may achieve a lot in the meantime while you're in government, but at the end of the day, the history has proved that. Uh, being in bed with the blue shirts is is very very difficult experience. Talking, I suppose, about about feeling under pressure, about yeah. being at cabinet, about toxic relationships, yeah. people leaking against you, the yeah. media quite hostile to you. Yeah. The one thing that would strike me is what you need generally mm. is a good friend, yes. so is a confidence. Yeah. Uh, and you talk about some of the friendships yeah. Yeah. that have utterly gone by the wayside since you became uh, a minister. You lost a lot yeah, of friends. I lost some, and uh, and that's that's really sad, and that happens in politics to everybody, I think. And I found it a little difficult to to accept or to that the people should actually lose personal good personal relationships as a result of their political beliefs. And I think having been having been for so long a voice of the opposition and a voice of protest in many ways and a radical voice in many other ways. I lost friends over, you know, over judges. I lost friends over, um, over strikes. I lost friends over, over uh, the drink driving as well. And I lost good friends that way. They, they, they took it, I think, personally, I just made political decisions which had, had to be done. Uh, they had been in opposition with me and they expected me to, to, to go with them. And, 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 and I don't think in any way, you know, all those people whose friendships I've lost, I, w I wish they were still there. And I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, it still hurts that that, that happened, but they're not. And uh, I had to go ahead with what I thought was right. Let's talk about Eamon Dunphy. Yeah, Because yeah. he was one of your closest yeah. Yeah. pals, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you were right. best man at his wedding. I was, yeah, yeah. Did that include getting up and making a best man speech? Yeah, that's right, it was, yeah, yeah. What did you say about him? Well, it was all. Eamon and I were very good friends, and 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 uh, and uh, we certainly could have made speeches about each other, which were funny and amusing. And uh, I I can't I can't actually remember what I said about him, but it, it was stuff. It was stuff which was amusing about his past and about the scrapes which we got in together um, in the past. And you know, he's getting and uh, maybe things that his wife didn't know. I, I'm not sure the sort of things you say at a wedding, and they were. Uh, perfectly harmless but very very amusing and uh, I was very very fond of him and uh, you know we used to see an enormous amount of each other. And he'd been a big supporter of the Independent yeah. Alliance hadn't yeah. he? Yeah he had he'd been he'd been really really helpful and um, and I loved him for it because he was you know it was a personal thing and uh, he was almost you know he whatever I did he was supportive he used to come around and support me in in difficult and and in easy situations he was kind of loyal and he'd come to meetings and he did he campaign for me at elections and he was a huge asset because he was such a he was such a big draw uh, and he was so charming uh, and people loved him uh, yeah I went for dinner with him I remember with Aaron and I and his wife and my wife and we went for dinner and we had the usual kind of somewhat you know a really relaxed evening and forgot about politics etc and then the next thing was he got uh, 
and he's obviously he's got some he's very well motivated he 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 got very upset because something i was i can't remember exactly but it was because i wasn't taking the right attitude uh on the industrial strikes on one of the industrial strikes and he he got upset by that and he went on the radio and and it just it kind of ended there that was that was it you know but this was over i think the dublin bus drivers were out on strike weren't right. they was and it? He was interviewed about it, yeah. and this was one of your very best friends. Yeah. He'd been best man at his wedding. He yeah. supported the Independent Alliance, yeah. and then he goes on the National Airwaves, yeah. and he called you an embarrassment yeah. Yeah, and a sure. fool. Yeah, I mean, look, Eamon is Eamon. <laughs> that's that's Eamon. I mean, he he's like that. He's volatile. He does this sort of thing from time to time. Uh, and did it surprise me? Yeah, it did. Because Eamon's fallen out with lots of people. Uh, and I, I always believed it. he wasn't going to fall out with me because we'd go back so far. But he, but he did, and uh, that's life. It's it's a it's a political price which you pay. And it's, and that's it. You're saying you went out for dinner one night. You had a brief discussion, mild disagreement on how to deal with. We didn't talk about the strikes that night at all. There was no mention of it. They were on, but we didn't we didn't discuss it. It was on. Um, we had no discussion of that sort. When I went out for dinner, Raven, we went out as friends. And we'd talk about everything. We might talk about politics, you know, as well, but there would never be really any too much argument about it. You know, Eamon is, well, he's one of those great narrators. He tells funny stories, usually very engagingly against himself, which is, which is great. But there was absolutely no argument about that. And, and then, I, then I heard him on the radio uh, on uh, Sean O'Rourke's program. Uh, and I was somewhat surprised. Uh, to, to hear that, you know, because I'd say was, some people, to be honest with you, yeah, Shane, yeah. if one of your best mates went on national airwaves yeah. and said you were an embarrassment, yeah. would be a bit more than surprised. Well, I was, I just thought it was difficult to understand, you know, um, and I never, I don't think I ever heard from him again. And that was it. And that was it. End yeah. of friendship. Did you mm. try to make contact with him? No, I, because, uh, because it kind of happened very soon after that. And my mother died after it and he didn't come to a funeral, which I thought was extraordinary. And, uh, which, which did upset me, and um, and no, I didn't try. I didn't try and make contact at all. I just because he was going on continuously in the same vein. Then after that, so I didn't see any point, to be honest. You know, you also had a friendship with Matty McGrath, and you don't really speak now either. Uh, he obviously really opposed your drink driving yeah. legislation, and it did come to a head, didn't mm. it, between mm. the two of you in the in the doll bar? Matty and I have been very good friends for uh, all the time we were in opposition, and. Uh, when I when I got into government, as I think you knew, I you know I probably I introduced the drink driving bill, and this was uh, something which Matt, Matty found very very offensive. Uh, not not only that, Michael Collins did, Matty did, uh, Michael Lowry did, uh, and lots of other people, mostly rural TDs, found it offensive, and it went to the cabinet and got through. And Matty opposed it throughout uh, throughout that time, which which I didn't find any difficulty with. Um, I did find difficulties with, 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 it, with it getting kind of very personal all the time in the, in the Doyle, and there was a filibuster on. Uh, and so, so uh, the friendship was, the friendship thawed long before I lost the head in the, in the cafe. Uh, but it, it did, it, it just went to nothing. It's not that we're not speaking. If I meet him, I, I talk to him. That, that's, that's not true. And we're in the Doyle for, I can't remember how many hours on the filibuster. And, uh, at one, and it got very personal, very, very difficult. And I, uh, and when it ended, I went out to the, uh, to the cafe and I, um, I saw Matty there and, and the sight of Matty just sent me through the roof and I said some, I, I exploded with some feral delete, expletives 
uh, in front of him. And, uh, Why and did you call him? I think, I think it began with a B and ended an S. KS, right? I think that's what it was anyway. Um, but it was, it was very undignified and it was something he shouldn't have done. And, um, and it also, you know, he was delighted. And it, it appeared in the newspaper the next day and it wasn't me who told them about it, you know. So it was a mistake. In the book, yeah. right, you take a number of sort of personal swipes too at yeah. other politicians. Yeah. No rock, you call a rent mouth. Yeah. Charlie Flanagan, you say he's excitable yeah. and cantankerous. Yeah. Stephen Donnelly, you yeah. refer to as Harry Potter. Yeah. In yeah. the book, Michael Ring, an acquired taste. Yeah. And Michael Healy Ray, you say he's great potential, but Danny remains an embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. That Michael needs to overcome. Yeah. Hmm. Are you trying to settle scores in this book? Quite the opposite. I mean, quite the opposite. The, uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, that, uh, so, so, I mean, I, I can't be uncritical of everybody. What I'm trying to do is tell the truth and tell the truth of my perception of, of what people are, are like and how they, how they actually behave when they're confronted by situations which are maybe sometimes a little bit outside the pub, public eye. Um, let, me, let me look at people like that. No, not to settle scores. I mean, I was very silent in terms of um, people when I, was, when I was in government. I didn't really say very much about them when they said things about me. Uh, so they were personal about you in government and yeah. how this is you getting your own no, back by no, being personal no, about no. them now in this book? No, not at all. I, what I'm trying to say is what happened uh, when they came up and what, what I felt about their politics, not about themselves, right? And when I say Danny Healy raised an embarrassment, I mean a political embarrassment and a political embarrassment, I think, to Michael Healy Ray probably as well. That's not settling scores. That's, that's a political charge, but it's a political statement. Well, I don't know if calling statement. Stephen Donnelly Harry Potter is a political charge. Well, I know, but that's harmless enough, isn't it? For goodness sake, that's that's what people called him. I mean, I, you can't take life too seriously. This book is it's not all serious tragedy, personal feelings. It's funny as well, and it's it's lampooning a few people. Of course, it is, and and uh, God, they lampoon me enough, and I don't I don't mind. Uh, you know, I, no, that's that's absolutely fair. I mean, I, and I say Charlie is cantankerous. Charlie Flanagan, he is cantankerous, and there's you nothing wrong. He's a big heart, in fairness. Yeah, and I say he's a big heart. I mean, one of the other things you were ridiculed for, yeah. and you do address it, yeah. is going out to meet Katie Taylor yeah. at Dublin Airport. Yeah. And very much, you know, she was there. There was loads of media, a lot of photographs being taken, lots of yeah. interviews. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at any of the photographs in the day, there's Katie Taylor, all her belts, and you're right here yeah. on yeah. her shoulder. Yeah, Throw absolutely. Out. Yeah. Throughout, yeah. should you not have sort of stood in, got your photograph taken, she had, and then walked away, left her to it instead of trying to kind of ride in the coattails yeah. of her success? Of course, I, of course, I should have. That would have been exactly the right thing to do. You're, you're, you're quite right. The um, the Katie Taylor thing was 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 absolutely. It was not a fine moment. I agree with you. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have behaved that way. Actually, when I went out there to make a speech, welcome her on behalf of the government, and you're quite right. I wanted to be photographed with her. There is, let's, there's no point in pretending anything else. I did, because politicians like being photographed with successful sports people. And what I wanted to do was make the speech beside her, right? So I got photographed with her, and then off we go. What actually happened, what happened was, what happened was that we came out into a crowd, and I didn't realize, nor did anybody else, how it was going to develop, how it was going to develop. And she started wandering, and I stuck to her. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the moment I'd made the speech, which took, several minutes to come up. I went, when she'd said something, I said, I want to say this because I had it there to welcome her on behalf of the government. At that point, I left, right? When I'd, when I'd finished doing that, 
But in the meantime, you're, you're right. I absolutely stuck to her. One, because I wanted to make the speech. And secondly, of course, I did want to be photographed with her, as politicians always love being photographed with people who are successes. But do you accept it was a bit shameless? Shameless yes. bandwagging? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, that's part of what we do, I'm afraid. We, we do take advantage of opportunities of that sort. There's photo opportunities, and it's, it's, uh, it's something which you can't, you, you can't rub out, but, but it's something, yeah, I was rumbled. That's, there's no doubt people said I was there for the photograph, and I was, yeah. Uh, moving on, I suppose, to some of the major controversies that mm. landed on your desk. Um, let's go to the Rio Olympics. Yeah, yeah. You had it over there yeah. for a bit of a jolly, I suppose didn't you? You thought Rio, Olympics, good medal prospects for the Irish team, brought your wife along with you, and you hope to have a great old time. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. No, that's not the case. I thought it would be, I thought it would be a very, very fascinating time. I thought I would thoroughly and totally enjoy it. Hmm. But I knew that it would be utterly exhausting, and the programs that are made out for me and was made out for me in advance was was very, very was very exhausting, and there would be a lot of kind of official duties to do as well. Um, I didn't regard it as a jolly. I don't really like traveling very, very, very much. It's a very, very long way, but it was absolutely unmissable as a personal experience. But it was also something which I remember saying to uh, Pascal Donahue, who was my predecessor. I said, look, uh, does this mean that I have to go to the Olympics? And it was phrased in that way. And he, he said, uh, it doesn't mean you, 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 you'd be able to go or you have to go. It's absolutely mandatory that you go. You're the Minister of Sport. And it would be absolutely wrong not to go there. Uh, and so it was in that spirit that I went. You were because, of course, the ticket selling yeah. fiasco yeah. exploded yeah. over there. And um, one of the first meetings I suppose you really had when you landed had to be with Pat Hickey, yeah. who's the president of the Olympic mm. Council of Ireland, because yeah. they were obviously carrying out an investigation, weren't they, yeah, they were. into how the tickets had ended up in a particular set of yeah. hands. Uh, mm. You went to meet him because you weren't happy with the investigation. Mm. Isn't that right? Yeah. yeah How did that meeting right. go? It went very badly. Um, what happened with there was, yeah, they were setting up an investigation. It was straight, straight off the airplane. Uh, I, went to, I went to meet him because 
it had been prearranged by him and I uh, to talk to him about the investigation because we wanted an independent on that investigation. It was investigation into the OCI and what's happened to their tickets. And he didn't want uh, an independent on that investigation. And I'd made it clear to him that if that wasn't the case, we would set up our own investigation into, into what had been going on. And we met, it was quite late at night, and uh, there was absolutely no meeting of minds at all. He said there would not be an independent, that, that the OCI would look, look into it themselves. The attitude, I think, back at home was you'd been utterly undermined as a minister and he had shown you no respect. No, that's not, that's not true at all. We, we got the result that we wanted. We, we had gone to, if you, read, if you read the detail in the book, we had gone to uh, the General Secretary, I think it was, of the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and we had told him the situation that, that, that had arisen, and that, that seems to have moved uh, Pat Hickey's attitude very, very quickly. At the same time, the, uh, we were very fortunate to have Kieran Mulvey there, who I was talking to, and who was also talking to Pat Hickey, who came up with an agreement which was exactly what we wanted. It wasn't a matter of anything except getting what we wanted. That was what we wanted. We wanted an independent on that inquiry. That was what was conceded. And ultimately that was achieved, even if it yeah. was through kind of Sport Ireland. Yeah. Pat Higgy was arrested mm. and, you know, was being held in a jail in yeah. Rio. Yeah. And at that point then you came home, you came mm. back to Ireland. And he mm. subsequently said that you showed him no humanity, that he was left in jail and that the Minister for Sport got on a plane and returned to Ireland. Well, I don't know what I would have been doing if I'd have been staying there, to be honest. You know, we, the ambassador there was... Uh, was dealing with the situation and he was seeing him and he was he was doing everything that he could do. We, we, we made sure that uh, that he was getting everything he was. We inquired about that. He was getting everything he was. I, I was advised that the best thing for me to do at that situation was to come home and set up the inquiries as, as soon as possible and that uh, Pat Hickey was getting every bit of attention that he could possibly, all the attention he could possibly get, all the consular attention he could possibly get. I don't think I could have done any more. I want to move on to the FAI, which is obviously yeah, yeah. under your remit as yeah, well. Yeah. Were you friends of John Delaney's? No, I wasn't friends of John Delaney. I knew him well from uh, from the period in as a minister. Uh, I used to see him at all the uh, all the matches, uh, and we used to and and I'd see him. Did I see him outside at the FAI context? No, I don't think I ever saw him outside an FAI context at all. Um, but. Uh, we got on well, like I did with all the semi-states and all that, all, all people like that. Very, very, very congenial company he was, and, but there were, no, uh, there were no points of real friction or friendship. And I thought that he was very good at attending those, paying attention to the grassroots. That was my impression when I came in first. He was always there. I met him kind of, you know, Dundrum, Leicester Celtic, all, the, all these local things, and he, he paid a lot of attention to that. And that was, that was something which I thought was very important. And he, and he was, he was doing, he was, he was doing very, very well. So I met him in all those contexts, quite, quite often as well. And, and I thought he did that well. Yeah. Were you totally taken by surprise then when all of the corporate governance and all of financial issues in the FAI came to light? We were absolutely astounded when the financial issues came to light. We were aware of corporate governance uh, problems that had to be rectified and they were on a journey to do that. And we'd push them into, into, into that as well, which was the length of time uh, the directors spent 
uh, on the board and that they had to be limited and they had to come into good corporate government's rules, which they weren't abiding by. But we'd got a, there was an agreement that they would do that. And we got things moving very quickly, saying, OK, corporate governance has to come into line here. And that was that was coming. The financial situation, we didn't have any idea what was going on, of course, nor, nor did anybody else. But there'd be those who say, look, if you were aware of the corporate governance issues, yeah. Yeah. and they had been flagged, yeah. hadn't they? And yeah. Catherine Murphy, I think, had brought them to your attention yeah. and said, you need to have concerns here. I have concerns about who is sitting on this board, how long they're sitting. Yeah. These are red flags for good corporate governance. Mm -hmm. Do something about it. Yeah. And a year had, two later, very little had been done. No, we had done something about it. And that's something people don't know. We'd insisted. We'd insisted, in fact, that those corporate governance rules were changed. And they were changing at that time. They were actually changing. The number, of, the number of years which directors could serve were changing and had been agreed to be changed. And that was directly under, under my, under my uh, when I was a minister. You do have to remember, though, that we didn't have any power over the FAI or the OCI. It was, it was under moral pressure we could put on. And it was the difficulty which I had after, after it all broke was that we only... Uh, that we only gave the FAI, I think, 2.9 million a year out of a budget of 50 million. And they were in a position, as they were, to say, hands off, we don't need you, we get so little money from you. And we, we were not negotiating from a very strong position, but we actually pushed them at the end into a situation where they, it, it's completely reformed now. And uh, I don't, you know, in eight months, the FAI turned up from being a kind of an organization which was dominated by a very old guard to something completely new, and that was all done by very, very strong measures by my department and other people. When you talk about the reforms that yeah. you introduced before yeah. the story exploded, yeah. they were reforms going forward for the board of the FAI, weren't they? Yes. They didn't actually push the people who were on the board of the FAI, who'd been there for decades, off it. The thing that Catherine Murphy had said to you, look, keeping the same people on the board for decades after decades creates groupthink and that's dangerous. Yeah. The, and uh, the rules that you changed were you know, going forward for members, yeah. but not for the sitting board. Look where they are now. I know. Look where they are now. But that's Look down to the work, I'd say, of, of Mark Tai and the Sunday yeah. Times, you know, and the story exploding. Correct. But, but what did we do when we found out? And we didn't have access to any of that information, remember, before. We, we, it wasn't, we didn't own that, uh, the, the, the FAI. We didn't control it. We didn't have access to any of that information at all. They had audited accounts. We believed them. Sport Island looked at them and believed them. The moment that we found out what was going on, look what we do. I challenged anybody. And remember, when I was reforming the FAI, it was resisted and resisted by virtually all the powers that, be, that, that were there. It was resisted by UEFA, which is the international organization. It was resisted by a lot of officers of state and by most of the people who were in controlling positions of the FAI. And in one year, we've got, we've got independent directors, Right, we've got six independent directors. We've got we've got other people who are elected different system, and we've more reforms coming as well. Irish football is really on the road back now financially. It's it's being hit by some really dark days like everybody else, but it's a reformed organisation. But do you regret, given mm. your reputation over yeah. the years yeah. when you were in the Shannon and in opposition and writing your columns yeah. as a journalist? Yeah. Do you regret that it took? the story in the Sunday Times, it took the explosion yeah. in the FAA for you to really push through reforms, that you didn't get this ministry, yeah. you didn't become the Minister of Sport and look for those reforms from the outset because there were issues and there were questions. No. And that's something I thought you would have prided yourself on. I, I, I addressed in the semi-state bodies under my aegis issues of reforms on every in every single one, particularly 
as regards um, directorships. And every single, there was a completely and utterly new system introduced by me on semi-state agencies from day one on how people were actually put onto the boards so that we got the right sort of boards. And that was not taken up, by the way, by any other minister, right? They, they kept for the old system, which is political appointees. I did that in every single one. You look at the CIE, the DAA, the whole lot, right? So it came out of ministerial control. I, I had sign-off, but basically it was, it was selected by other people in order to make sure that corporate good, there was good corporate governments there and it wasn't political uh, patsies or political patronage as a result of that. In, on, in places where I didn't have control, in other words, where I wasn't the shareholder, uh, which included the OCI and the FAI, I could not give a direction of that sort. It was just not within my power. They were, organi they were organized and owned by other people. What I could do is say, you're not, which is what I did the moment it broke, I said, you're not getting any more funding, any more funding until this is cleaned up, what we've now found out about. So the very moment, within two days, I think, Sport Island funding after that broke was withdrawn. And it wasn't restored until we were sure that the reforms were on the way. Nobody could have asked me to do more than that. And this is for Irish football. You have to differentiate between Irish football and the FAI, because what the FAI did was they ruined the reputation of Irish football. But Irish football is absolutely flourishing at the bottom, which is where I was seeing it every single Saturday and Sunday. And it's now going to flourish at the top, I think, as well. But to say that, you know, I could have moved in on day one, I couldn't. That was absolutely impossible. I could only move in when I found out what was happening. And nobody else knew that either. I just want to um, talk to you about alcohol, yes. which you reference yeah. uh, in the book. You're a teetotaler for... 30 Ooh, years? Yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a line, actually, where you say um, mm. friends of yours, some friends of yours, would have referred to you as an undiagnosed alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's true, yeah. I'm not sure it's very interesting. I just used to drink far, far too much. When I was uh, about 18, I think I started and drank quite a lot. And then I, it, it increased. And um, I then became a kind of a, a stockbroker and then a politician. And I was still drinking, increasing amounts all the time. I gave it up from time to time, took it again, etc. And I never, um, I, but being a stockbroker and being a politician at the time, I was an independent senator at the time, gave you an awful lot of kind of flexi time. You, you, you could, you know, be there in the morning and there in the afternoon and move around a bit and have long lunches. It was a period of long lunches and things like that. And um, I, I did a lot of drinking. And that's, you know, that's where I, I was in nightclubs. I was in all sorts of places. And uh, I realized myself after some period of time, I mean, I, you, it gradually gets onto you because you don't accept it, that, that it was a problem. It, it, I was managing to hold the job, and alcoholics do, and etc. That it was a problem. It was difficult, and I wasn't turning up for you know on time for things on time. I was getting lazy and uh, neglecting things, and things were getting a little bit chaotic. Uh, not out of hand, but a little bit chaotic. And so I, um, I gave it up. I just I had a bet one day with PJ Mara. You know who I mean? Who was who who, who was one of uh, Charlie Hawkey's people, and. Uh, he was. He used to drink quite a lot too, and I said, "I bet you. I bet you." Was it, it was a pound? And they said, "Yeah." I said, "I bet you a pound I'll last longer than you." And uh, 
And I did, yeah. I, I gave it up. I've never had a drink since. And that's, you know, that's, that's all. It's actually quite a boring story, but it's, it's, that's, that's what happened. And it was, it was definitely a problem. But I never went to a doctor and said, I think I'm an alcoholic or anything like that. No. I used to smoke huge amounts as well. Do you think it now, though, that you were an alcoholic? I'm not quite sure. Um, I don't think about it very much, actually, to be honest. It's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm still a bit frightened of it, yeah. I'm, you know, there's wine and around where I go quite often, as there is with everybody, etc. And I sometimes think, should I try it? And then I say, no, 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 it's not a good idea. I think it might start something which I don't want to. You mightn't see me for six weeks or something, you know. So, no, but it's, it's, uh, it's happened to an awful lot of people. And, and there are people with really great stories about how they gave it up and the, and the awful damage they did. I, I, I was lucky. I, I just gave it up and just stopped, you know. But I didn't get support now. Out of all of your time as a minister, mm. of the four things, yeah. um, I think there's two real stand out for you, mm. isn't there, that you're proud of, mm. which would be judicial reform, mm. which is a work in progress, yeah. but I think is going to come. Mm. And the second of all is the drink driving legislation. Mm. Mm. Why were those two things so important to you? Why are they the two standout issues? Because I think okay. they were. Would that be right? Yeah, I think you're right. I th <laughs> judicial reform, I think, is is the most blatant and offensive form of political patronage and judicial patronage now, which goes on in this country. And the way judges are selected and appointed is absolute mystery to the layman. And it's a mystery to virtually everybody. It's all done behind closed doors, whisper, whisper, a few, you know, when they come to the cabinet, they're disgraceful the way it's done, it's brought to the cabinet. Brought to the cabinet, what they call underarm, which means no notice at all of the name. Uh, at the end, bang, goes through. And in case, unless, unless Finney McGraw or Shane Ross says something, it goes through. And until we got there, it was nearly always someone who was politically approved of. That's the reality, the reality of it. And that now the, the, big, the big row, and we introduced this very, very uh, extensive judicial appointments bill, which, as you know, met the most incredible opposition. I mean, n neither Fianna Fáil, nor Fine Gael, nor Labour, wanted it, nor the Greens, I think, probably wanted it. Politicians didn't want it because they want to keep appointing people who they want to appoint to these situations. The judges now want to get a hold of it and do it themselves. The last thing they want to do is have lay people involved, independent people. That's, that's all we want, is to have independent people involved to the judiciary. On the drink driving, it, ha it, it wasn't in the programme for government. But when I found out about what, what, what the actual law was, I wanted to reform it. In other words, to enforce it, that everybody who, who's over the limit goes over, is put off the road. Um, and I thought it would be really easy. I really thought, oh, this is logical, let's close this loophole. It was a loophole which was conceded in 2009. And uh, I couldn't believe the opposition to it. That's, I suppose that makes, you, that makes you worry when you find this opposition. And this was the vintners, ma mainly. It was, you know, the vintners and publicans came in and said, this is crazy. You're... And the rural voices, the rural TDs. Who, were lo who lobbied the rural TDs, exactly. And they, they lobbied the rural TDs, and they, got, they had a very big hold on, on a lot of rural t TDs. And that's where Matty McGrath came in. Uh, he was lobbied by them very, very strongly. And there was a real rural-urban divide on that, wasn't I'm there? I'm afraid there was, and I, there shouldn't be. Um, there was, you're right, it was a huge rural-urban Divide, but that you know that all the all the you know the, the most number of road deaths from alcohol or from anything else are in rural Ireland, not in not in urban Ireland. Why was it important? If you'd met the victims groups, who I met for a very long period of time, 
uh, over a very long period of time, you would see utterly selfless people coming out to campaign against drink driving because it kills people. Uh, and you would, you'd, you'd have to have a heart of stone not to be moved by, by people like that. And it seemed to be so simple and such a obviously good thing to, to do. Uh, what I didn't realize was, and it, it disillusioned me a bit with politics, not totally, but was that rural Ireland and so many TDs and so many vested interests didn't care. They wanted to keep, you know, keep, keep selling the drink and, and that was it. And, and they didn't care very much. So I didn't realize the opposition. And when I took well, it to Just Cam to be clear, it was putting people off the road if they were found to have between 50 and 80 milligrams. That's right. Yeah, which so is I don't it. know if it's not that they didn't care at all about drink driving. They just felt that that was going too far and then that was going to have a really yeah. serious impact. And people in rural Ireland who like to go for a pint or two yeah. in a local pub, Correct. perhaps their only social outlet, and drive home. Yeah. So it was very specific, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very specific that that, that loophole, the 50 to 80, uh, loophole should be closed because that was that was that was left open. Um, but what was so disheartening, I thought, and what was so surprising was that there were so many politicians against doing that, and that included Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Labour, uh, and the Labour Party came on board with this fairly early on, although Alan Kelly was was against it. Uh, and what surprised me was that they were obviously influenced by the Ventners, by vested interests. And when, it, when I brought it to Cabinet, as I said to you earlier, um, I wasn't even sure it was going to get through uh, because there were so many people at Cabinet, like Michael Ring, uh, like, uh, like, like several others from, from rural Ireland who were against, who were against this bill. Uh, but it ultimately it was, got through. It ultimately got through, but it was such a struggle because vested interests were fighting so strongly against it. It's great to have got it through. I mean, I'd like to bring it, I'd like to bring it a bit lower, but, uh, you know, that the, the we got through a limited amount, you know, it really, it's going to save a lot of lives. And it's not thanks to me, it's thanks to those, it's thanks to the victims' groups. I can't let you go without asking you about COVID, and you have been yeah. tweeting uh, in the last couple of weeks yeah. about the government's decision not to follow yeah. the original uh, recommendation from Neffet that we moved to level five was ignored by the government, or they decided not to follow that advice. And you've been really critical, mm. really critical yeah. of the government for yeah. doing that. Yeah. I mean, they said they had to look at more than just COVID. They had to look at the impact on people's mental health, on non-COVID mm. in the health service, and on the economy. Do you not accept that? Of course, they have to look at that. Absolutely. Of course, those things are ultimately really, really important. But when I see the figures going up and when I see people dying and I see the figures going up, the priority has to be that we don't get to a situation where lives are being lost again like they were before. It's the government's job to save the lives of its citizens and not to put them in, in any danger. And it, in, in certain situations, which are totally unpalatable, you know, we have to take unpalatable measures. And when the health people, and these are really good people, say to us, this is going to get out of hand if you don't do something about it, I think it's it's wrong to contradict them or defy them in that way because you're actually, you're playing with people's lives. You're taking a, a, you're taking a decision which is against the advice of those who are interested in the health of the nation and the lives of the nation. We've talked about your relationship with Ender. Yeah. What was your opinion of Leo Vradker? Then Taoiseach, now Tarnishta. Completely different style. He was, he was very good at kind of calling a meeting between, say, the Independent Alliance and, and he'd bring in maybe Simon Coveney and a couple of others and getting, settled out, getting things settled out, preempting. He was very good at preempting trouble. Leo was very different. He was very loyal 
I'm not saying Ender was disloyal, but Leo was exceptionally loyal. He he would um, to whom? Well, I found to me and to the Independent Alliance to what is what he to what he'd kind of promised. He didn't want to see anything go wrong. Um, he wouldn't let his ministers down in public at all. I mean, Ender, Ender let me down in public several times. He maybe was right to do it, but he did. He said, you know, I don't agree with what the Minister for Transport has said, which is quite a it's quite an unusual thing to do. Uh, I mean, Leo is. Uh, you know, he's, 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 he's a very, very successful politician, but he's pretty easy to deal with his Taoiseach. I mean, you know, you can, you can trust him. Finally, for you, mm. do you want to run again? Are you finished with politics? You know, I was asked that question in 1992, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, uh, you never say never, right? Uh, in politics, which was a way of saying, basically saying, I don't know, and I don't really expect it to happen. And then 20 years later, I get elected the Doyle for the first time. Um, I, I do feel there's some unfinished business, but I'm not sure whether politicians always feel that anyway, um, because there always is unfinished business. I, I kind of would like to be involved in that, you know, that kind of sphere of life uh, for a while. I've got an awful lot of energy, which, which I'd like to do, and I'd like to pursue the the things I've pursued for, for a long time, um, and to continue doing that. Whether I run for the Doyle again, I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's, it depends very much on what the, what the world looks like in maybe two or three years' time. Shane Ross, thank you for your time. Thank you. Okay. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.